Well, good morning and welcome to Foothills Church. Is everyone excited to be here today? Oh, that is so wonderful to hear. And um, I just want you to know this, that I'm so thrilled that you are here Today, I have been on staff, my, let me introduce myself, my name is Heath, and I've been on staff here for a few months, and uh, I have an opportunity, I've had an opportunity to preach twice here in this room, and it was empty both times. So, to have you here, you've just made my day. I just want you to know that. So, thank you so much for joining us today here in the room. If you're watching online, we want to say the same to you. Welcome. So excited that you've decided to join us in this series that we are doing right now. It is called The Art of Friendship. And The Art of Friendship is, is, is really taking a look at what it means to have and to be friends. We are, Pastor Trent introduced it, kicked it off last week, introduced the whole series so wonderfully. And now we're continuing on to discuss what it means to have friends and kind of the art that is around that. You know, what it means to have to have friends and is, what does an art look like? When you hear the word art, certain things might pop into your head. You might kind of go different places when you think of art. Some people might think of music as art. That may be the thing when you hear the word art, you know, the art of friendship. You think of how in relation to music or maybe it has a relationship to a drawing or painting or sculpture or maybe it's something to do with, with computers. Whatever that could be, you think of art and, and there's certain places that you go. For me, when I hear the word art, I go back to my college days when I uh, took an art appreciation class. Anyone in here ever take one of those? Did it teach you to appreciate it a lot more? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way I felt. I remember going to this art appreciation class and we sat in there and we're looking at art over and over again. Well, one of our field trip assignments that we had to do is we had to find a, an art museum or an art gallery and we had to stand in front of all of these works of art and we had to evaluate it. We had to appreciate it. We had to interpret what it meant, what probably the artist meant. So what, what, what I did was I was walking through all of these different areas of the museum, this art museum, and I had my, my little notebook and pen with me and I had to make my notes based on what I saw, right? So I would be walking through the museum and I would have to stop and look and reflect and interpret what I saw. So, so it might have actually been something like this, a work of art that I would see, and I would, I, would, I would stand in front of a work of art such as this, and I would be reflecting on it and taking my notes. And the first thing I remember writing down when I saw a work of art such as that, I thought, five-year-old <laughs> finger painting. That's what I saw, so I interpreted it that way. So I remember going through this entire class. I remember getting out of the class and I really didn't have this incredible appreciation for it. And, and, and I didn't really learn anything about what it meant to be a better artist. And, and I remember walking through and thinking some art I appreciated. I liked it a little bit better than others, but that the whole museum experience wasn't, wasn't that great for me. And so when we had to do our assignment at the end of the semester, we had to come out with our best artwork. And so mine ended up looking a little bit more like this. Um, I mean, I, you need a stick person drawn, I'm your man, just so you know. Uh, but I, I just really wasn't very good. And this is the, that's the extent of really in my art, in my, uh, my drawing, in my painting, whatever that could be. If you were to say, sit down, draw, paint, and write, you know, script something out, I was never super good at that. In fact, when my kids, when I was younger, and they said, hey, dad, draw, draw a picture of the family, and this is what it usually turned out to being, I just kind of took my stick 
figure, stick person drawing, and this is what it ended up like. And then they reminded me, Dad, we only have four in our family. Why is there five? And I told them I drew their imaginary friend. And so with him. So that was our family growing up. But I, I never... I never grew as an artist. I never grew in, in my painting or in, my, in, in, in sculpture or anything because I never worked on it. I just never worked on it. I, I never actually tried to get better at it. I never went to someone and said, hey, can you help me be better at this? Real artists that I knew. I was in the class with all of these artists and they loved it. When we're walking through the museum, they're like, oh, they're just interpreting, they're looking at, and they're, they're comparing with their works of art. And I'm like, well, this doesn't really look much better than my stick person, but I'm going with it. But I never really got better at it. I never tried to get better at it. I never looked at anything at the time. I couldn't do YouTube, but I've never in my life have tried to get better at art. And so to this day, the stick person is really the best thing that I can do. I'm not really that great of an artist. I just never tried to get better at it. And when we talk about the art of friendship, it's very similar. Most of us just, we just accept what happens when it comes to friends, when it comes to relationships that we have. Whoever comes our way, we kind of accept them. We'll just allow it to happen. Or maybe we look at it and we think to ourselves, some are really good at it. Some have great friends because they're like a prodigy, like artists. Like some people come into this world that are artists that they just come out drawing and painting and sculpting and whatever. And they're the, they're the prodigy artists. And we think, well, that's how you have to be good at friendship because you just have to be that person. But the truth is we all can learn. In fact, the scripture has a lot to say as we discussed even last week and continuing this week about what it means to have and to be a friend, you know, to others. Well, as I was preparing for this, I, I, I looked up a basic understanding of what it means to, to start being an artist, right? Of, of, for instance, I was never good at the painting side of things. So I looked, at, I looked up and I thought, how could I even start being better at, at, as a painter? If I were to want to be a painter, what would I do to get better? And there were several things that, that I saw along the way that I thought would be helpful for even if we're talking about the art of friendship that would help us to understand even more what the art of friendship looks like. And, and one of the things it talked about was this. It talked about that you need to start with a subject, an object. You need to start with something that you look at and that you observe, and that is what you're going to paint. That is what you're going to draw. And, and, and the reason it started there is because don't, don't come up with this kind of, you know, imaginary thing that you're kind of whatever coming up with. Make it something that you look at and you say, just start there. And that is what you want to get on your canvas. So when it comes to the art of friendship, when it comes to the art of relationships, one thing that we, that we discover is this. Jesus, when he was here, he told us what relationships were about. When we look and we say, what is the intent of our relationship? What, are the, what is the intent of our friendships? What is the intent of, of all that, the relationships, the circles that we have and the influence that we have with other people? What is it that he says, this is what I want you to pursue? And, and actually, you know what? Crazily enough that for us, we believe here at Foothills Church that we are about making mature disciples of Christ in relational environments. And you know where we got that from? Actually, it's in the Bible because Jesus said this when he gave the great commission to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And for many of us, that might be, a, what, what does that word even mean? It means this, is that a follower of Jesus who is becoming more like Jesus. 
So what he said to his disciples, even when they were here, his followers, even when they were here, he said, go and, and all that I've taught you, go and teach them. All that I've instructed you with, go and teach them. The, the life that you have now because of the light that I give you, let others know about it. And that eternal, abundant, full life that they can experience, they can have it in the here and now. Go, make disciples. And then he gave a, also another time, he gave a great commandment, which was this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when you take those two things, and we would call them the great commandment and the great commission, the great commission to go and make disciples, and he said, how do we do that? Is that we, we continue to love others, that we continue, that they understand that the law that was given actually in the Old Testament, over 600 of these laws that were given, that when, when you look at that and you say, um, when the Pharisees and, and, and the, the, the religious leaders of the time said, Jesus, what's the best one? What's the number one? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of them are wrapped up in that. So that is our object, to continue to, to be in relationships where we experience that, that he actually tells us this. He says, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. So when we want to start with something, we want to start with an object that we look at. What? There's no better place than that, right? That's where we want to continue to move people toward. That's every person that walks through these doors, every person that we interact with on a daily basis. We're thinking about if we are making disciples, that is what we want them to experience because that's the life that Jesus has given to us, right? So that's where we would start, is we would start there as our object. And secondly, one thing I discovered was this. It, 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 it discussed a canvas that you would need to have. So identify what you are drawing on. Identify what you're looking at. Identify the, the, the person or the, or the, or the, the object that you, wanna, that you wanna draw, that you want to paint. And then, what is your canvas? So for just a little while, what we're gonna take a look at is we're gonna take a look at what, what we call them the circles of relationships that we have. And every person in our life, generally, that we come in contact with uh, on a regular basis, to, to a certain degree, might fit into one of these categories, okay? So here's the first category right here. Our outer circle. <clears throat> in fact, if, you, if you're taking notes, you might wanna just draw this out. Uh, your, your outer circle, my outer circle. These are people in our lives that we interact with on a daily basis. But they are not people that are really close, super close friends. These are people that are in our outer circle that you come in contact with on a, on a daily basis. It might be the barista at the, at the coffee shop that you go to that's beginning to know your name. And the reason they know your name is because you tell them their, your name and they actually write it on the cup and they pass it down and they go, well, hey, Steve, I've got your latte coming. And you, you're like, well, hey, barista, thanks. And um, that's what you call the coffee people, barista, in case you didn't know that. So, um, so they're making your drink. So you don't really know them yet. They're kind of knowing your name. They're knowing that you actually like a vanilla latte with skim milk. They're knowing a little bit more about you, but they're on the outside. Maybe it's people at work that you interact with or people that you walk in the hallway here and you're kind of noticing them, you're kind of seeing their faces and you're kind of slowly getting to know them. But it's an, it's an outer circle of people. It's people that really, when it came, push comes to shove and, and you're having challenges in your life and difficulties in your life, maybe a struggle that you have, 
they're not the first people that you really text. They're not the first people that you're going to reach out to. They're the people that when you want to go do something on a Friday night and you want to hang out with them, they probably not the people that are on your speed dial or on your speed text for your group, right? So that's kind of the outer circle that we all have. And then we have a middle circle. An outer circle, those people that are kind of sort of acquaintances, we kind of are getting to know. And as people begin to move into our middle circle of friends, of relationships, we're getting to know them a little bit better. You're, get, you're beginning to find out more about who they are, about what makes them tick, about what they like, about what they appreciate. Maybe it's, uh, it's uh, the relationships that are on your, your kids' sports teams and you're getting to know some of the, the, the parents that are there. Maybe it's somebody that if you're, a, if you're a high school or college student that you're getting to know that's in some classes or something like that. Maybe it's uh, uh, somebody, in, even in your small group, that you're like going, you know, I know them, I don't know them that well. They're not really on the outside. I'm discovering more about them, but they've kind of moved into that middle circle. You, 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 you've seen that they've moved from outer circle kind of to, to middle circle. And you're beginning to develop a relationship with them. You're beginning to know them. They're beginning to know you. You're beginning to share some, maybe some life experiences. Maybe it's the person at work that's in the break room that you're complaining about coronavirus and politics and who knows what, but you're kind of having some interaction with people. You're beginning to discover more of who they are and they are beginning to discover more about you. So then we move from outer circle to middle circle to our core, our inner circle. So we've kind of moved from this, this understanding of people that are on the outer circle, the relationships that we have to that middle circle and then our core. These are the people that we really depend upon and that depend upon us. The people that are the closest to us. My wife and I, speaking of, of being an art of, of friendship, we actually, you know, if, if, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, we all have this vantage point of, of what art even looks like, right? Well, in the same way in friendship, my wife and I see it very differently, or we have historically, is that she loves very, very small groups of really strong friends. Like her three to four friends is exactly what she loves. She loves having a very strong core group of friends. I, on the other hand, can have 100 acquaintances and I feel like we're best buds. That's just me. Uh, it's just, we're wired very differently in that. I'm like, oh, they like me. I like them. Let's just go, you know. But, but I, so for me, I've always struggled having a real strong inner circle in a core because I just feel like so many of my external friends are that strong, but really, really they're not. And see, the significant thing about this is that God wants us to have people in all of these circles. He's brought people into your life and you into theirs to have these relationships. But people in the outer circle might not be close friends, but that doesn't mean we're not friendly because many times that barista at the coffee shop may need to meet Jesus and God has brought them into your life so that you can show them what that means to follow Jesus and introduce him. Or, or maybe it's someone that's been brought into your life and you're on their outer circle and they're caring and loving on you. May not be the BFF, may not be the core of the people that are, as my, friend, as my kids say, you know, their friend group, that when you think about your core, when you think about people that, you're on your, that, you, that you reach out to on a consistent basis, people that you're the closest to, but each of these circles 
have people that are significant and really important in your life. And I believe God ordained and I believe God brought them into your life. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Who in your life fits in each circle? That is so important for us to understand, for us to recognize. Because oftentimes we've just allowed it to happen. We haven't worked on it. We have not looked at it and said that this person, um, uh, maybe the person, how did they end up in your core? Well, they just liked me. They accepted me. I mean, for, for, if you are in your 30s, 40s and beyond, I guarantee you, you have memories of thinking back to middle school, high school, college, and you think to yourself, how did I end up with that group? How did I end up being influenced in that way by them? Well, maybe, just maybe, they meant to be on your outer circle and you let them in your core very quickly, your inner circle, and they influenced you tremendously. And there was a group that welcomed you and accepted you. And you're thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. Because the truth is, each person that fits needs to be in a circle for a reason. I mean, your core, man, those are the people that we think of our inner circle. The people, as Pastor Trent mentioned last week, and, he's, and he brought the scripture, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Who are we, who's in our inner circle that's encouraging us? Who's in our inner circle that's, in, that's challenging us? But who in the outer circles, why are they there? And what names are there? When we think about the tragedies and maybe some bad decisions that we've made in our lives or maybe some things that we've done that we thought, man, I, I, I have no idea what got me here. Many times think about the people that are closest to you. You wanna know what got you there? Voices in your ear, sharing with you things that had nothing to do with biblical wisdom, that have influence maybe in your life that should not have been there. So when we begin to identify, when we have our canvas that we're painting on, that God says, these are the people that I've placed in your life, and we lay it out in front of us, then we begin to understand what it means to paint onto that. So what, then, are, therefore, are our paints and our paint brushes and what we're painting with? So here's, a, here's what we're going to think about for just a little while. It's this right here. Real friends, definition of real friends and what do real friends look like? Real friends in our lives. I mean, what, what, what is it that they look like? What is it that based on what the scripture tells us when we look inside the scripture and we want to identify what a real friend is about, when we open it up and, and God, I mean, it's so, it's so amazing how God, there's, if you have a question about life, I promise you, you open up God's word, you're going to find direction for it. And when it comes to having real friends in our lives, there's, there's direction. When it comes to having, understanding the art of friendship, there is direction. And it begins with understanding what a real friend is is that you want to be part of your life and that you want to be in their life. So here is what a real friend looks like. Real friends pick you up. Real friends pick you up. Unfortunately, we've been living in a, in a society today and unfortunately the church is just as guilty, can, historically can be just as guilty as others that we can, we have a tendency when someone falls, we kick them to the curb. When someone falls or someone struggles, we kick them to the curb. We look at them and, and all of a sudden we're like, well, did you hear about what they did? Did you hear about who they were with? Ah, maybe we need to, mm, they fell. So what do we do with that? 
Well, this is what the scripture tells us to do. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The best example I can think of this, man, is, is, is Jesus and Peter on the water. Can you remember that story? Where Jesus is, is, is out, he's walking on the water as only Jesus can. He's walking on the water, his disciples are on the boat. Peter looks out and says, is that you, Lord? He says, yes, come to me. He takes a step out, he starts beginning to take some steps on the water, and he notices the wind, he notices the waves. Perfect illustration for our lives, the struggles that we have. His faith causes him to sink, and Jesus reaches his hand down, and he pulls him out. And he says, oh, you have little faith. And oftentimes we read it in this way. There's a chastisement of a you of little faith. Why did you not look at me? Why did you look at the wind and the waves? But see, I believe Jesus reached down and he helped him up because we find out later that he didn't actually, when they got to the, to the side to say, hey, Peter, get off the boat, you're done. In fact, when he reached down and he pulled him up, he said, faith's not there yet. Faith's still little. Why'd you know, why did you look around? If you keep your eyes on me, we're going to make it through this. And it was a lesson learned for Peter because he pulled him up and he got back in the boat. And later on, he looks at him and he says this, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Was that a teachable moment? Was that a moment that Peter could learn? Yes. And Jesus reached down. And when he fell, when he was sinking, he pulls him up. So real friends do that to others. Real friends look to others and look to you. And they say, when you fall, I want to be there to pick you up. Okay. When you fall, when you struggle, I want to be there to help you get back on your feet. And that's what a real friend does. So real friends also love sacrificially. That means that they love in, in a way that says, I'm not loving based on condition. I'm not loving based on what you're doing for me. In fact, Jesus says it this way. He says this in John, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. Man, right here, Jesus calls us friends. Because guess who laid down his life for us? Jesus. And he's saying, love as I have loved you. Guess who did not deserve a relationship with Jesus and the grace and the mercy that was given to us? You and I. Not a single person in this room has um, earned that on their own. Not a single person watching online has deserved that. We all deserve separation. We all deserve eternal death. We all deserve that because we pursued our own way. We've said, God, I'm going to pursue my own way. But Jesus said, no, I love you anyway. And he gives sacrificially that is not conditionally. So real friends say, I love you anyway. And they love sacrificially. Real friends also care consistently. Um, 2006, my, um, my dad, we got, we got word that my dad had fallen at a, um, he was about, he was, upper 60s and had fallen at, a, at an outlet mall, tripped over a curb, hit his rib, thought he had broken his rib, went to the hospital and they did an x-ray and they discovered in that x-ray um, that he had 
a tumor on his lung. So they said, it looks like you have a mass on your lung. Now, my dad, you know, he was a smoker from the time he was 12 to he was about 65. So we knew where that came from. And um, so he goes in for surgery at a hospital in Florida. Wasn't living down there, but his doctor said, I know this great place in Florida. If you go down there, I guarantee you they're going to be able to take care of you. Went down there, had successful surgery, came out of it, called me, sounded kind of weak. Hey, got out of the surgery. All went well. Everything looks okay. About a day later, maybe two, it was October 29th, 2006. My sister calls me. And she says, um, dad's having some complications and they've taken him into, you know, to surgery. And then he, they, he was, he went into ICU, but they said they, they, they're having, he's having trouble with his lung, the one that they had surgery on. And, and that's therefore he's, he keeps going in and out, keeps going in and out. So we stopped as a family and we prayed thinking, okay, doctors are going to take care of this. Everything's going to be fine. I mean, the surgery would not have gone as, as well as it did without this. I said a few days before he went down for the surgery, told my dad, I loved you. You're going to be fine. Gave him a hug and he goes for the surgery. And then about two hours later from that call, I received a call from my brother-in-law who said he didn't make it. And I lost it. I broke down. I weeped. I was a mix of angry and frustrated and sad, just thinking I'm never going to be able to see my dad again and tell him I love him. I'm never going to give him a hug again. I'm never, he's never going to come over to our house and see my kids growing up. They both were incredibly young. I didn't know what to do. I felt alone for a moment. My mother had passed just the year before, so I felt kind of like this orphan. And I was in distress. I was in this moment of God, what is happening? And about an hour later, there was a knock on my door. And it was all of the guys from my last two small groups. And they came in and they prayed with me and they prayed for me and our family. And they heard, listened to me for the next few hours. Hey, just share stories about my dad. And they, they, they were there to support and, and to care consistently because the scripture tells us this in Proverbs, it says right here, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So my brothers showed up at that time and they were born and they were a real friend and they showed up to say, we're here for you. Not because they read on some piece of paper that said, oh, guess what? A small group's supposed to do this and we're supposed to show up and care for one another. Oh, I guess we need to do it. No, they showed up because of this. They loved me at all times, no matter what I was going through. And they were my brothers and they showed up caring for me and they loved and they cared for me consistently. And during that season of my life, I don't know if I would have made it through the way that I did without that. So we're going to talk about friends being incredibly important in our life. I experienced in that moment. You have too. You can think of people in your life that, that in certain moments throughout your life, pivotal moments, pivotal circumstances that have taken place in your life that you remember someone who is there in the negative ways of the remembering the faces that caused us to kind of take a hard right or left that we shouldn't have gone. The people who brought consistent love and compassion and care, you remember their faces. You remember the texts and you've been able to do it for others. And that's what a real friend does. And I am so grateful that I've had that. Real friends are selfless. Real friends think, you know what? 
It's not about selfish. It's not about what I'm going to get out of this. It's about what can I give. It's about what can I give to you. It's about what can I do for your life. In fact, the scripture tells us this, and you have heard this before, even if you've never read this. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We've heard that growing up. We've probably told our kids that if you're parents, because we want them to behave, we want them to do what's right. But, if you, but we hear it, it's called the golden what? Yeah, the golden rule. We've heard it our whole lives. And imagine for just a minute this right here. Imagine if every relationship and every person in our lives and that we did this, imagine the relational difference that we would have, the friendship difference that we would have if we applied this to our lives. If we applied, and as you wish that others would do to you, if you want people to do it to you, if you're like going, oh, I really would love for someone to be here for me right now. I'd love for them to kind of welcome me. I would love for them to kind of like invite me over. I would love for them to be part of my life. I would love for them to kind of speak truth into my life and to be able to share with me and to laugh with me and to cry with me. Then we need to do that for others. Imagine if every marriage, relationship, friendship, official, politician, government, we can stop there. All right, so, but... If you imagine for a moment that everyone did this and our world would be a different place, if we just applied this one biblical command, if you want them to do it to you, you do it first. Wouldn't every, I mean, how many marriages would be restored if we took off the selfishness? What am I getting out of this? And we thought, what can I do for you? Every relationship that when we kind of like, well, I don't want to know what I get out of. Every small group that I can think of, people going into a small group and they go in with the wrong attitude going, well, I want to see what I get out of this and what they're going to do for me. And they show up in a small group instead of saying, what am I going to bring to the table here? What am I going to bring to the table? What can I bring to my group? How can I help this group thrive and be strong? How can I, how can I help these relationships be, be, be healthy and to celebrate with them and to, to cry with them and to, to encourage them and to challenge them? What can I do to make it Awesome. Instead of going, well, that's on the group leader. No. No. It's about what can we as friends do for and receive with one another? How can we remove ourselves out of it and say, I need to be selfless rather than selfish? Finally, real friends make you better. Oh, love the scripture right here. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. When we read this in God's word, man, there's to me, it speaks that people, real friends just want to make you better. Iron sharpens iron. I, I don't know if you've ever witnessed it or have done it, sharpen any sort of a blade, a knife, a sword, whatever it is. So if you're sharpening it, it takes a tool that is very rough and the tool goes across it. And it's in, I hate the sound of that, I have to be honest, but when I hear it, it's like, ah, but it's really rough and it's harsh and it's kind of sharpening, sharpening. And then it softens and then it, then it helps it uh, to make it more smooth and then it makes it sharper along the way. So all that's going through that entire process, it's making it sharper. Real friends want to make you sharper, real friends in, or people that you are, if you are a real friend to others, you want to make them sharp. You want their faith to be grown. You want their, them to be challenged. In fact, that's what this word means. It's saying they sharpen each other. They challenge one another. They encourage one another. They build one another up. They're okay stepping in and sometimes having the difficult conversation to be like, I'm not happy where you are. You're not as sharp as you could be. Can I help make you a little bit sharper? Can I step into your life? We ask our small group leaders to do that. One of the objects that we, the, that we ask them to do, the, the objectives that they, that they do each and every small group is we're like, we want you to be in people's lives, to be helping to develop mature disciples. And sometimes that means difficult conversations saying, 
Your marriage isn't where it needs to be as a husband, as a wife, your, your relationships, the way that you call out your kids, the way that as being a boss, whatever that could be in your life, that God's got something better for you. Can I help you take that step and, and let's have that conversation so you're going to be sharper? That's what this means. Real friends want to make you better. Now, I know what you're saying is that you, you've got some people in your life that are constantly just being abrasive. And you're going, okay, I, I, I can only take so much of that. And we know those personalities. These, they're not really trying to make you better. They're just trying to call out all your faults. They see your faults and they want to call your faults out rather than actually making you better. You know how, you know how to determine a real friend on all the things that we went through? If you have your phone and, and it, all of a sudden the, it goes off, there's a text comes through or say a call comes through. When you see it on the caller ID, do you smile and hit receive and you put it up to your ear? Or you get one of those looks and you put send it to voicemail. That's a good way to determine if they're a real friend in your life. And if they're just wanting to call you out or it's just constant, just trials and all that, or someone who's actually in your life to make you better. As um, <clears throat> Pastor Trent introduced last week, that we were never meant to do life alone from the very, very beginning. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, Adam was, was created and and God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And all the wives in the room said, exactly. So he created a helper and they said, and he got it right. And so, which is very true. <clears throat> but he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And that actually, I believe that goes beyond just a, just a husband wife. I believe that it's not good for any of us to be alone. It's not good for any of us to be going through this life. We cannot become all Jesus wants us to be by ourselves. We need community. We need one another. Adam and Eve realized this. They were in perfect community. They were in perfect relationship with each other and with their heavenly father. And he said, just don't eat of that one fruit. Enjoy all of this that's here. Just don't eat of that one fruit. It's the, it's the only one I'm gonna ask you to do. Enjoy it all. This is unbelievable. The life that I've given you right here in this garden. Just don't eat of that one fruit. And they did what we do and they ate of the fruit. And in that moment, they sinned. They went against God's plan for them. They went against God's best and they ate it and they realized in that moment, we don't have any clothes on. We're gonna cover ourselves up. And then what did they do next? They went and hid. And this is what we find out that happened to Adam and Eve. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they go and they realize in that moment, uh-oh, it's kind of like your kids, if you have children, done something wrong, they hear the door slam, they closed, or they hear something go off that lets them know mom and dad are home, uh-oh. And they go and they hide. They don't want it. They don't want to have to deal with it. And they're thinking to themselves, if we hide long enough, maybe he'll walk by. Maybe he'll forget. Maybe he'll just uh, not hold us against us. We really messed this up. Oh, what is this going to mean? But God is walking through the garden and God responds this way. He says this, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? It's a question that from coming from an all-knowing omniscient God that would be like, Really? Does he not know where they are? Does, does God not know exactly where they are? I mean, how's he going? You know, it's like hide and go seek. Where are you? Is God asking that question like that? No, I, don't, I really don't believe he's asking where they are because he knows where they are. What he's doing is wanting them to self-reflect and look inside themselves by asking them the question, you know where you were 
you know what you had? You, you know that, that I've created all this and I, and I want what's best for you. Where are you now? What, what you just did. He wants Adam and Eve to look inside and say, oh, yeah, um, we had it really good to look and say that the God who created me, the God who loves us, the God who, who gives, creator has given us this amazing garden and this life in this world to oversee. And we ruined it because of that decision. So he wants them to look inside and to say, where are you? What's going on? And see, for many of us, Real friends have permission to ask that question. Where are you? In the same way that God in that moment, you know, our heavenly father looked at Adam and even said, hey, he knew, where they, he, he knew where they were. But he's saying, where are you? Where are you in relation to me? Have you, can, you, can you see this? Can you see this? This does not make me happy. And for us and the people that we come in contact with, our true friends, people that we know, do we have permission, have we given permission to anyone to say, ask me that question, ask me a question. Hey, where are you in, re in regards to your marriage? Where are you in regards to your friends? Where are you in regards, regards to each and every day living God's best in your life? Where are you in, in, in regards to what it means to be consistently giving and showing up at church? Where are you in relationship to your group? I mean, I want you to be here because you need community. Where are you? And do you have permission to share that with others? See, I know what many of us are thinking. Oh, it's someone else's job. They need to be asking me. No, I promise you this. Your core, your close group of friends, they're leaning into you to be asking them that as well. So where are you? And today, some of us in the room might be, I mean, we might be in the boat that Adam and Eve were in where we've, we've, we've pursued our own way. We've gone and hid. We, we, we're constantly kind of like saying, I don't want anything to do with it. Something got you here today. Maybe it was a friend invited you. Who knows what it was? Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you're watching online for even maybe the first time and you've thought to yourself, yeah, that whole question that God asked, where are you? I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I, where I know I need to be. And I need a relationship with my heavenly father that I just want to share with you can only come through Jesus. The Jesus we spoke of a little while ago who said, I am your friend. I want to be your friend. He says this, I am no, you're no longer a servant. You're now called friends. Well, you don't know what I've done. No, I know what you've done and I love you anyway. Yeah, but I, I'm hiding. I know. Where are you? Just identify where you are because when we identify where we are, then we're able to truly confess what's gone on in our lives. We are able to truly repent of what's gone on in our lives and we can turn and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you've been hiding as well. Maybe something's gone on in your life and you just need to ask, be asked that question. So today as a friend, I wanna ask you, where are you? Where are you? Because he says this, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. The question that God asked in the garden, the creator of these friendships, the artist behind these relationships, when he sent his son, to die in our place. Now, we don't have to hide. We can come out into the open and he says, perfect. This is what we want. Do you have friends in your life that can ask you that? 
If that's you today or, or watching online and you would like to reach out to someone, please you know, click the button uh, on, that you're seeing online right now. Or if you'd like to go in our prayer and care room right outside, there's someone who would love to talk with you about that because they want you to know where you are is not where God wants you to stay. Now, let's get moving because they're there to pick you up. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your love for us and how amazing you truly are. We thank you for your love for us that even in the middle of seemingly just friends, people in our lives, people that we interact with, relationships that we have, you are so concerned about that. You designed it. You, you never said, hey, go figure this out on your own. You, you really have a true design and plan around it. And if we lean into you, wow, how much better we can be in the art of friendship. I thank you so much for those in this room. I pray right now that they're seeking out community, they're seeking out a small group, that they're able to drop by the Connect Center today just to ask some questions, to go online, to seek relationships that are here as a part of Foothills. And guys, and God, those, that, those of us that are active, that are already a part, that are, that are plugging in, that we are always thinking, who have I given, given permission to that maybe they think of one person or a group that they can say, you have permission to ask me, where are you? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.